So in this series, we approach this from uh, internal out, right? In, in, in internal faith transforming us outwardly. We've heard the perspective of sharing our faith in our families and controlling our tongues and how hard that is. Not that any of us would know about that. It's hypothetical, of course. And uh, today we're going to talk about faith at work, at work. So we'll be leaning into some anchoring scripture in just a couple of minutes, but I want to frame a couple of questions for you to think about this morning. Do you consider yourself wise? My friend's over here shaking his head no. (laughs) Do you know someone who is? Yeah, most of us know people that we look up to or listen to or take guidance from, and we see them as wise. It's an interesting reflection to think about wisdom and what makes a person wise. So wisdom might be thought of as experienced. It may be thought of as knowledgeable, someone who has sound judgment, Someone who's well-respected, insightful, calm under pressure, faithful, maybe with gray hair. Thank you, that's supposed to be funny. (laughs) So, you know, it's like, gosh, how did they get there? Well, obviously, you know, the reason we look at people with gray hair and we think they're wise is because they've lived a while and they're experienced and they know things and they've been through some things and so... They may have experience that some of the rest of us don't, or they may just not color their hair, I'm not sure. So, um, but today we're going to talk about wisdom, and I want to frame workplaces for you. So, if you are a stay-at-home mom or dad, you're the CEO of your household, I submit that that's work. Amen? Amen. That's some hard work. Um, You may work in a big building, you may work virtually in your office at home, you may work for yourself, you may own your own company. Um, There's lots and lots of ways to work. And in the context of this message, as we talk about living out our faith at work, I want to make sure that that you understand I'm not just talking about employment. I want to differentiate that because we all have jobs to do. Even if you're retired, you still work. And so I just wanted to frame that for you as we dig in. So the point is, no matter what type of work you do, we need wisdom from God. That's that's what we're going to hear about today. So our anchoring scripture comes from James 1, 5 through 8, and it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So we're going to leave that back half alone for just a minute. Don't worry, we'll get there. But we're going to talk about the reassurance found in the front half of this scripture. Strong words, if we lack wisdom, we simply should ask for it, and God will give generously, not just a little bit, He'll give a lot. He'll give generously without finding fault. So we make numerous decisions every day, right? I hope you decide when you get up in the morning to brush your teeth, um, put on shoes, take keys to, you know, take your keys to your car, you eat when you're hungry, you answer your phone. A lot of us can drive to work and from work without even recognizing 
the things that we know along the way. It's just sort of automatic. We operate on autopilot sometimes. Unless, of course, you can't find your keys in the morning and you get real spiritual real quick. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, please help me find my keys. And I will say this, that God is in the details, and we can pray for things like that, and he'll show up. Amen? He will show up. I don't know if you've ever prayed for a parking spot at Christmas time, but I have, and I found one. So if you don't, you should. Although, if you pray harder than me, you might get my spot. We might have to talk about that offline. So while God is in the details, we can pray for guidance, we can pray for governance, we can pray for presence in the small things, and he will definitely show up. We all know that to be true. But there's a much deeper level in our lives, right? There's a much deeper level that we all need wisdom and discernment in order to do things in line with God's will for our lives, and that's not so automatic. So let's dig in a little bit. The first and most important thing to know about wisdom is that it comes from God. And we grow in wisdom when we obey God. Obedience in our culture sometimes can be a dirty word, right? It, it sounds like, you know, we're under a thumb. But let me tell you something. If I'm under anybody's thumb, it's God's thumb I want to be under. Because we live in a challenging world. So how do we, how do we gain get wisdom? Proverbs 1.7 tells us this. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Fear of the Lord. So we talk about a grace-filled God. We talk about a good God. We talk about a faithful, a loving, a kind, accepting God. Why then, why then do we see this scripture framed in terms of fear of the Lord? There's a word I want to talk about, and it's called reverence. Reverence is a word used to describe the relationship with God we are talking about here. Now, when you think about his majesty, I'm not saying it cannot leave you shaking in your boots, because it can. If you have a right perspective relationally with the Lord, it can do that to you. But reverence is a deep respect for someone or something. It's to regard with the deepest of respect. So as we think about this, reverence allows us to hold God in his rightful place. He is above all things. Amen. He is the ultimate source of wisdom. So when we, when we posture ourselves in that place and we begin to think about the one who is wise, the one who is above all things, we can start to think about, so then when and why would we be seeking God's wisdom? It's probably not for those autopilot things that we do day in and day out. Not that he's not in the details. I'm a firm believer that he is. But there are things that we face in our life that require us to come under the anointing of our God, to submit ourselves, to fear the Lord, to hold him in the highest, right, esteem. So when we often actively seek wisdom when we're facing high-impact decisions, things things that drive stakes really, really high. So if you've ever thought about getting married, praying about starting a family, buying a house, buying a car, changing careers, these are high-impact decisions. And, and when the stakes are high, we, we want to be really thoughtful. We want to move 
in the right places and spaces. So why is that? Well, we want to get it right. We want to avoid a mistake. These decisions often feel too big for us. Have you ever experienced that? So if we assessed everybody in this room and then some, I'm sure there are thousands of stories where you guys have had a big decision to make. You prayed, you asked the Lord for wisdom, things like, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do for a career, right? For young adults in that 18 to 24, somewhere in that space, you know, that's a big thing. And that's a very, very hard um, decision to get to when there's so many options around them, right? You're thinking about getting married. You want to make sure that you're praying into this and that this is the person God has brought to you. You're thinking about changing careers, especially uh, if it's a second career, like you've done something for a really long time. It takes a lot of courage to do that, but you also don't want to move in the wrong way, especially when you're responsible for a family and putting food on the table and keeping a roof over their heads and things like that. So <clears throat> those are the places I'm talking about where we definitely want to revere the Lord and lean in and seek his wisdom. So let me ask you this. How many of you have ever made a big decision and then changed your mind? And then changed your mind again? Keep your hand up. And again, and again, and again, right? Why is that? Well, this is where we're going to get to the back half of that scripture. I promise we would. James tells us that when we ask God for wisdom, he will give generously without finding fault. But then he goes on to say, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Ouch. Ouch. Strong words. It's easy to be influenced by all the other things around us and change our mind and change our mind again. And sometimes we seek wisdom in places and spaces that are not from God. So it's easy to lose our way and make a decision and change our mind and make a decision and change our mind. So just like on our personal lives, when it comes to our Christian faith at work, we are likely to be thoughtful, very, very thoughtful about decisions, choices, behaviors that will impact, impact excuse me, our employment, relationships, well-being. When we're making these big decisions, it's not uncommon to jump online and start researching, right? If you're going to change jobs, you're going to jump online and start checking out the company. If you're going to buy a car, you're going to jump online, you're going to check out ratings of the car. If you're going to buy a house, you're going to jump online, call Jennifer. If you're, you know, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> it, it, you know, there's big decisions. And here's the thing, research in and of itself could be considered wise, right? Like you want the facts, you want the information. But and it's sensible, it's logical, you know, we're, we're trying to gain knowledge so that we move correctly. One of the things that struck me, though, in the preparation of this message is where in our research do we call on God, right? So in a time where knowledge abounds, wisdom is scarce. True wisdom is scarce. We are in an age of information overload. 
you can jump online and you can discover just about anything you want. And in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I want to challenge us to today is to get maybe, you know, the invitation to the Holy Spirit and to God into that decision-making process a little bit higher in the chain. You know what I'm saying? So the example that I think of is if you've ever gone to buy a car and you're like, all right, I need a new car. I'm going to get online. I'm going to research this. New car it is. Lord, please help me pick red or blue. Right? That's not quite what I'm talking about. That is sometimes what we do. We insert God into those decisions way downstream. But what I'm hearing in all of this as I was prepping and preparing and reading and studying, I'm like, you know, Lord, it's not about choosing the color downstream. It's really inviting God into our decisions way upstream, aligning our lives with his will, doing his work in his kingdom here on earth. So as a church, um, and let me just say one other thing before I move on to the mission of the church. We have access to all this information, right? The number one way to learn right now is on YouTube. Nothing wrong with that. But that information that does not necessarily translate to wisdom leaves us looking around a society where people are hurting everywhere. They're hurting. They're hurting in the church. They're hurting out of the church. People are hurting. And those people have access to information. They have access to information, but they may not have a personal relationship with Jesus. Our, as a church, we not only want people to come through these doors, right? We want them to come through these doors for healing and hope. But Kurt has said often, it's also our mission to take healing and hope outside the doors, to take it into our families, to our schools, to our workplaces. I, I entered into a job with the company I'm with right now about 21 years ago, and there was a good, I, I met a lady, and her name was Carol Burnett. No, not the Carol Burnett, but she was equally as fabulous. She still is equally as fabulous. Um, she's a nurse. We were working in a recovery room together down in the Texas Medical Center, and I found out that she graduated high school with my husband, and we were taking care of all kinds of really sick patients in level one trauma center. We were in this little break room one day, and she said, what are you going to do next? Like, where are you going from here? And I said, hmm, well, I think I'm going to stay here until the Lord plucks me out of health care and puts me into a church so I can preach and teach. True story. And she said, well, sister, you're going to be here a long time because this is a battlefield. And that week, I'm not kidding, that week I had heard, um, I would say a podcast, but I don't think it was a podcast then, um, something on a radio, a, a message, I read a book. I don't remember the source of the information. But I read about in a war zone when medics fly in to help the wounded, they sometimes step off of their aircraft carrier and they look out and there's people bleeding everywhere. So much so they don't know who to start with. Can that one live? Is that one, can we save that one? Can we stop the bleed here? They're overwhelmed with the number of people that need physical help. <clears throat> and when Carol told me that we were in a battlefield, she was talking about a spiritual battlefield of people maybe not bleeding, 
but hurting everywhere around us. So trying to figure out our space, how to draw on God's wisdom, how to apply practical application of his word and our faith in, in our circles and in our workplace can be really tough. See, we can know and still not know how. Are you with me? We can know God. We can know his love. We can know his goodness, his mercy, his faith, his forgiveness, his grace, and still not know how to share that in the battlefield. And friends, we're in a battlefield. We're pretty comfortable in here, right? We're, we're comfortable in here because we're with, for the most part, like-minded. We hope and pray that people need the redemptive love of Jesus come through the door. But we're pretty comfortable in here. So we can shout a hallelujah and an amen and we're among friends. Phyllis Riney was a pastor um, at another church, and I had considered one time going through a formal um, candidacy process to be a pastor. And between Carol Burnett, who said, Sister, you're in a battlefield, and Phyllis Riney, you can see that I worked in a secular workforce. <laughs> I, di I didn't roll in to, to be a pastor. Um, I, I stayed where I was because Phyllis said, when you come behind these double doors, Kel, you have to wait for the hurting and the hopeless to come to you. But she said, when you go to work every day, you can take Jesus with you. And that literally was a turning point in my life that kept me in a public workforce setting. So by wisdom, James is not talking only about knowledge. He's talking about the ability to make wise decisions in difficult circumstances, really, really challenging circumstances. Another way to say it is practical discernment. I like to It's still on. There we are. Came back. I like to describe it this way. So knowledge coupled with know-how. Knowing how to work, how to apply our knowledge, how to make decisions, even how to minister. Some of you are like, your toes are being pulled in because you're like, yeah, girl, I don't minister. It's not my gig, right? I say we are all ministers according to the word by our baptism, right? So you may not be preaching and teaching, and Lord knows I won't be singing. But there are ways. So I want to I just share a quick story with you guys. I work in a very spiritually diverse workforce. I have Muslim friends, Hindu friends, Buddhist friends, agnostic friends. And it's scary. Let me tell you something. It, it can be scary trying to figure out how to interact with those people. Because number one, God calls me to love them. Number two, I have a longing in my heart to want to tell them about Jesus. But there is a time and a place when and where, if ever, they can receive that. So I am not running through the hospital thumping a Bible. I am not. But people know that I'm a Christian. They do. And if they come to my office, which many of this group of friends come to my office, 
and they see scripture and I have a little cross in the corner. So even when I'm on Zoom, there's a little cross in the background. Uh, I didn't actually plan that. I just looked up one day in my camera and I was like, oh, you can see that here. Um, I have a little coffee cup a friend gave me that said I live on Jesus and coffee. You know, little things, right? Not, not big things. I, I can't run through the building, you know, with my hair on fire for Jesus, even though my heart is. So it requires wisdom to figure out how to interact in that space. And I want to tell you a quick story. I'm going to call this individual friend. I have a friend. She's from Iraq. She grew up Muslim. She told me one time after she and I really developed a friendship. We've been friends for a long time now. She said, my parents, especially my dad, he hates Allah. And I said, so what, how does that translate in your faith? Well, if my dad hates Allah, so do I. And I said, oh, okay, all right. So we just kind of left that, right? And she and I, uh, she's, she's a physician. She's highly skilled surgeon. Um, does highly specialized surgery in a predominantly male um, specialty, and she's good. She's really good at it. And so um, one year when we were still over uh, at Rogers, you guys gave out stockings at Christmas time. Do you all remember that? They gave out stockings and said, just go bless somebody. And I was like, all right. So I threw the stock in my car. I didn't think too much about it. But me and my friend, every year at Christmas time, we try to go to lunch. And so um, I said, you know what? I'm going to fill that stocking with chocolate and coffee because who doesn't love chocolate and coffee? Um, my friend Shirley does. So I put her a little note in there, and I put the chocolate and the coffee in there, and I went through the parking lot. We parked in the same spot. I was like, come on, I'll drive. So she jumped in my car, and when she got in my car, handed her the stocking. What is this? I said, well, I just wanted to bless you. They gave them out at my church. I got a few little things in it. No big deal, but I love you. Just wanted to bless you. She wept. She wept over a stocking. She said, oh, my God, Kel, I've never had a stocking. What does this stocking mean? And I said, well, sometimes you see stockings hanging around people's houses at Christmas and, you know, trying to navigate that very careful space because Christmas is not about a stocking and it's not about Santa Claus. Christmas is about Jesus. And I felt in over my head, if I'm being honest. I was scared to death, but I'm like, well, here we go, Lord. Please go ahead. <laughs> go in front. Please, please, please. You know, I was having this little, you know, my heart was pounding. So we just started having a very casual conversation. And we get to lunch, and she said, I want to take my stocking in. And I said, okay, it's cool. Yeah, bring it in. So she, bring, she brought her stocking in to lunch. And we're eating, and out of nowhere, she said, Kelly, do you believe in heaven? I said, I sure do, girl. She said, you believe in heaven? That's like a far off thing. I said, friend, it can feel like a far off thing until you know Jesus. When you know about Jesus, heaven's not a far off thing. It's not a far out thing. It's a real thing to which we as Christians hold on to a great deal of hope, right? We aspire to spend eternity with our Lord and Savior. So I'm going to fast forward a few years. Those stockings were probably at least eight, if not ten years ago. I can't remember. It's been a long time. And um, so I started giving her throughout the year. The first gift I gave her was the stocking. And then throughout the years, I've picked up little devotionals, little prayer journals. She started listening to KSBJ. She believes in Jesus. It's not because of me. 
it is not because of me. She has pursued Jesus and the comfort of his word and the music and the worship and the things on her own. But God gave me the wisdom to hand off a stocking. It's a little bitty thing. <clears throat> How do we move from knowledge to wisdom? We all have a role to play, moving from knowledge to wisdom. I'm gonna share just a few insights very quickly. Um, there's a devotional written by an author, teacher, preacher. His name is Chris Donham. And he gives us a few tips about moving from knowledge to wisdom. And he anchors this with scripture. So I'm gonna share a few things um, from his devotional with you. So first and foremost, he talks about having awareness. He references Psalm 424 through 26, and it says, keep your mouth free of perversity, keep correct, corrupt talk far from your lips, let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you, give careful thought to the paths of your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. I was probably about 30 years old. Well, it's only seven years ago since I'm 37 now, but anyway, I was about 30. And I was working um, in an organization, and I got promoted to vice president, clinical and regulatory affairs. So I was the only female executive in that company, and all of my um, counterparts were men, and they were twice my age. A lot wiser, definitely had grayer hair than I did at that point. And these guys had a certain demeanor about them, right? I mean, they would use language that would make your skin crawl, you know, they would decide at four o'clock in the afternoon, we've got to go to the doctor's club and we've got to do strategic planning and things like that. And so I found myself as a young executive trying to fit in. I was trying to fit in, which means I was taking up some of their language that I, you would not be proud to hear if I spoke like that. My kids would be mortified. Um, they'd want to put me in timeout. But, you know, I was, I was trying to fit in. I wanted them to see me as competent, as strong, and tough, and capable. So I was working real hard to fit in. I had missed the uh, memo that God had promoted me there, and that he had plans to use me there. And sometimes it's wisdom that lets us know that we're not to fit in, but maybe to stand out. And that doesn't mean you're up there beating your chest trying to get attention. But if you can change one small thing in a group, right? If you can change that group dynamic, God can do a lot with a little. He can do a lot with a little. So when we become aware of our need for God and ask him to impart wisdom, he will not withhold it. The Life Application Study Bible uh, footnotes tell us, to fear the Lord means to honor and respect, to live in awe of God's power, and to obey his word. Faith in God should be our controlling principle of our understanding of the world. Let me say that again. Faith in God should be the controlling principle of our understanding of the world. It should control our attitudes and our actions. When we can trust in God, he will make us truly wise. The second thing um, that, that I pulled out of that devotional was assistance. 
Galatians 6, 2 tells us, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So Zig Ziglar, I'm a business book reading junkie, I will admit, and I loved Zig Ziglar. He was famous in the corporate world, and his motto was, you can have everything you want in life if you will just help enough other people get what they want, right? He was all about that hand up. So he was a business leader. He was credited with sharing gospel and leading many, many, many people in the secular workforce to the redemptive love of Jesus. And he wasn't running around quoting scripture. He just took scripture and found a practical motto to apply to his workforce, which helps people take that in. I call it spoon feeding, right? It's little bitty things that point to Jesus. So one of the stories I heard about him, and, and just real quickly, he was, um, they did business seminars. I actually got to see him downtown one year, and there were quite a few keynote, you know, a business leader speaking, but he was the main attraction. He was the keynote. And there was an up-and-coming leader that wanted to be on that agenda, but when they, when they mapped out the agenda, there wasn't time. So guess who sacrificed his time for the new guy? Not the other four or five leaders who were not quite the main event. The main event guy, Zig Ziglar, compromised a few minutes of his time to give this up-and-comer time to present his business, um, whatever it was, presentation. So that's, that, to me, is a practical strategy that reinforces what he had as a work motto in the workforce, right? Help others. Give them a hand up. Next thing, advice. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. No one can know everything. I don't know if you ever met anybody who thought they did, but no one can know everything. There's no shame in not knowing how to share your faith. There's no shame in that. When we seek God's wisdom, when we ask for prayer, when we ask for input from other Christians, God will respond. It's part of our journey. And he will use us no matter where we are. I'll tell you, this is a true story. I, I felt called. I didn't know how or where or what. And I decided I was going to teach first grade because I didn't know the Bible very well. And they weren't going to ridicule me because they didn't know it either. So I started with the first grade. So um, accepting advice, input, and feedback requires humility. In a boardroom, I say two heads are better than one, right? As an executive, I try to hire people smarter than me, and then I pick their brains and capitalize on the collective. Well, in a spiritual sense, I believe that two or three or numerous hearts are better than one. We are a body of believers. We're united in Christ. Being united in Christ is a privilege and a blessing, and godly wisdom is among us. So if we ever lack, privately and individually, that godly wisdom, you have a body around you. And I promise you, if you ask, that wisdom is there. God will not withhold it. Assumptions. Do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This just is another pitch to bring God into the decision-making process higher up in the chain. You just bring him in earlier. I'm not finding fault. 
<laughs> not finding fault, friends, because I have been that girl that said, should I get a black van or a white van? That didn't quite qualify. But when, you know, the patterns of the world, what we are prompted to do is to go, run, go get the information, dig it up, do the research. And that's okay. Finding facts could be considered wise. I'm just urging us to seek the source of wisdom higher in the decision-making chain. Acceptance. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Have you ever had a really good idea? I have, and I thought it was mine until later I figured out it wasn't mine. It was probably from the Lord. It's reassuring to me, though, to know that there is so much more than what I can think of or what I can understand. And, you know, I, I mentioned the diversity in my workplace. A friend of mine shared with me that um, in one of their religions, they have 150 gods. We talk about this over tea and coffee. 150. And I can't imagine, personally, trying to keep up with that, all the things you have to do um, to do it, but it's not my place to judge. It's my place to listen and love them in a meaningful way. Those guys will often feel like there's so much pressure, right? The buck stops with me. But when we pull back and we know the truth and we know our source of wisdom, we actually recognize that the buck stops with him. Amen? He's so much higher, so much better. Lastly, affirmation. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. This comes out of Jeremiah 33.3. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Rest assured that God cherish, cherishes your diligent pursuit of wisdom. When we bring him into our lives and bring him into our decision-making, he cherishes that diligent pursuit of wisdom. I have been many times waffling with something major, so much so that I lost my way. And sometimes our desperate search for answers can sometimes blind us to the ultimate answer. God is the source of all things. And as we seek, he is waiting to be found. We're able to do what wisdom tells us to do because God is our source and he will help us in those sticky and tricky and uncomfortable places. I have a little motto that I share at work. It's called God Family Work in that order. So when I hire leaders, they'll ask me things like, what, how does work-life balance work here? And I tell them, God Family Work in that order. And I don't always know who their God is. But right out of the gate, I tell them who mine is in a tender kind of way. God, family, work in that order. And so when they come to me after they've been working with me or for me for a while, they'll come to me and go, you know, little Johnny has this program. And I say, God, family, work. Go to the program. It's a small thing. It's, it's not scary. I'm not scared of it anymore. I was scared a little bit the first couple of times. And when you're talking to people where you don't know who their God is, it can be scary. But God has reassured me that as a leader, God family work is my motto. And it's okay to share that. You don't need to be an expert on scripture 
It doesn't require you, you know, um, to know everything in the book. All you really have to know is that God loves you. And he wants to love others through you. We are called in the book of Matthew to make disciples of all nations. You may not be called to missionary work or taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I wasn't called into the church 21 years ago. I was called to stay in that battlefield called healthcare. But we're all called. We're called through our Savior. The redemptive blood of Jesus is the thing that enables us to go out and in small ways change the world. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to have a closing prayer. Any uh, prayer team ministry folks that are available to come on to the front, I would ask you to do that. I'm going to say a blessing and you're free to go. But let me just let me just challenge you. If you need a practical strategy to stand out in a good way, if you need the courage to stand out in a good way, if you want to trust God more, if you need to see things through God's lens, if you don't yet have a personal relationship with Jesus, if you have not yet said, I want to declare Jesus as my Lord and Savior, not only because you need wisdom to live your life, but because his love and his promise is so great, friends. If you need that kind of prayer, please come forward. There's no judgment here. If you need prayer for anything, healing, a decision that you're facing, we'd love to pray for you. So let's go ahead and pray, and then you'll be dismissed. Unless you need prayer, we invite you up. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for your sovereignty. We thank you for your unconditional love. We thank you for Jesus that died on the cross, that we might be redeemed, that we might be saved. Lord, we know as we look around, we live in a battlefield. Would you, God, according to your word, pour out your wisdom upon us and help us have practical, everyday, small ways, little strategies to share your love with those around us. Bless this beautiful group of people as we go away from this place. In Jesus' holy name, amen.